Now, will you turn with me this evening to the book of Psalms, which we have been exploring together on these recent Sunday evenings as we turn tonight to the fourth Psalm. I think our recording um, man this evening is having some difficulties getting the sound through, and I've advised him just to, to give up. We may have to lose this exposition this evening on tape, um, but I don't think there's very much we can do about it. Psalm number four. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> you tried hard. It's working. Oh, fine. Psalm four. Shall we read this Psalm of David together as we look at it uh, this evening? You notice that it is a Psalm again bearing a title, the second of the Psalms bearing a title for the director of music with stringed instruments, a Psalm of David. And he writes thus, Answer me when I call to you, O my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Be merciful to me and hear my prayer. How long, O men, will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call to him. In your anger, do not sin. When you are on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and trust in the Lord. Many are asking, who can show us any good? Let the light of your face shine upon us, O Lord. You have filled my heart with greater joy than when their grain and new wine abound. I will lie down and sleep in peace, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Thanks be to God for this part of his holy word again this evening. Now, you will have noticed on the worship bulletin, no doubt, that I have given the title to this particular psalm tonight as Peace Be Still. And many of you will immediately have recognized that that title has been lifted from the New Testament scriptures and that incident in the life of the Lord Jesus on the Lake of Galilee, you recall, when he was with his disciples. And they had crossed the lake, and a storm had arisen. And as the disciples were so distressed and alarmed and afraid, as they saw the boat filling so rapidly with water, they woke the Lord Jesus out of a deep sleep, and he commanded the elements to subside in those great words, Peace, be still. And it's interesting that Derek Kidner, in his wonderful commentary on the Psalms, the one that I have already recommended you to use on these Psalms, he has taken those very words as his title uh, to introduce the Psalm in that lovely commentary of his, Peace, Be Still. Now, it is surely an appropriate Psalm in God's providence at which we have arrived on this Easter Sunday evening, because one of the great gifts of the Lord to his people through the resurrection of his Son is the gift of peace. 
And you remember a moment ago that in my prayer I reflected upon that as the Lord Jesus appeared amongst his disciples and said to them on that resurrection day, Peace I leave with you. It is a beautiful gift of the risen and ascended Savior to his church. Now again, it is a mark of the unity of the covenants, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, the Old Testament and the New Testament, that what we know in fullness in Christ was also a gift known so beautifully by the saints of the Old Covenant and was something here in this psalm that David was able to enter into in such fullness as the Lord was his covenant God also. And as the Lord came to this man and said, Peace, be still. Now you will have noticed, of course, as we read this psalm this evening, that it is very much connected with the previous psalm that we have been studying together, Psalm 3. That psalm that showed David to us in such deep distress, both physical and emotional and, above all, spiritual. And just as that psalm was the morning psalm, when David reflected upon his experiences and he came out of that great distress into that wonderful place of trusting his life to the care of God, so this psalm was written in the evening. And you will have noticed that there is the connection of words between the two psalms, where David speaks of his glory, again in this psalm, verse 2. And the phrase occurs in verse 6 of our psalm, there are many that say, and that was a phrase he used in the previous one. And then finally in verse 8, the language is almost identical, I will both lay me down and sleep, he says for the Lord makes me to dwell in safety. Now, I'm sure the commentators are correct when they say that probably the two psalms are separated only by a period of 12 hours. Psalm 3 written in the morning, Psalm 4 written in the evening of the very same day. An evening psalm. As David comes out of these stormy days of distress, as he is a fugitive, on the road to Mahanaim, with Absalom and all his armies, so soon to be in hot pursuit of this discrowned king, this monarch without a kingdom anymore, with Absalom in open rebellion against his father, with men all around David saying, there is no help for him in God. The Lord has finished with him because of his great sin. And David, even as we have seen, almost beginning to believe that his sin had turned away from him the aid and the help of heaven. Here is a man bereft of God, all comfort and hope, it seems, stripped away from him, all his privileges torn out of his grasp, and here is a man, as we've seen already in Psalm 3, from whom all outward evidences that he is a child of God have been taken away. 
Now, you see, it's true that in Psalm 3, David had begun to recover from the, the reeling shock of Absalom's treachery and rebellion, and he was beginning to gain his ground, as we saw in these recent Sunday evenings. He began to realize that the Lord was his shield around him from every adversary and danger. And he had began to, begun to see too that though he left his royal city with his head covered and his feet bare, weeping and downcast as he went, the Lord had drawn near to him and had become the lifter up of his head once more. And though he was in the midst of great and fearful dangers, there was one unslumbering helper who had mounted God over him so that at the end of Psalm 3 he was able to say, I laid me down and slept, because the Lord sustained me. But although he had begun, you see, to gain these grounds of peace, as this psalm opens, Psalm 4, it shows that the battle was not yet won. Here was God's servant wrestling with some new problems by the end of the day. And these problems were unending suffering and unanswered prayer. Look at that situation in verses 1 and 2. The Lord David cries out in great distress and with great intensity, Answer me, he says, when I call to you, O my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Be merciful to me and hear my prayer. Do you see what is happening? Although David has begun, you see, to regain his foothold again, the Lord is his shield, the lifter up of his head the unslumbering helper who guards him through the hours of danger and of darkness. Yet he begins to say, O oh Lord, why is this suffering prolonged throughout another day? And no indication of your helpers has, has reached me. And why, above all else, are my prayers apparently being unanswered? Answer me. When I call to you, praise this man of God. And you see the difference from Psalm 3 is that his pain and anguish is being continued. He's surprised at the duration of his trial. And again, the temptations surround this man's soul to despair and say, well, perhaps they're right when they are saying, but there is no help for him in God. Some of you who may have read some English literature may remember how the great English poet Gilbert Chesterton caught something of this despair in one of his ballads dealing with King Arthur of England and Arthur's struggles and Arthur's nights. And you may remember how in one of the lines of that great ballad, the Ballad of the White Horse, as Alfred is at grip, grips with the Danish invaders who surrounded England and broke like some foul sea upon the English coasts, Chesterton describes 
Alfred's feelings, and he says, But Alfred up against them bare and gripped the ground and grasped the air, staggered and strove to stand. He bent them back with spear and spade, with desperate dyke and wall, with foemen leaning on his shield and roaring on him when he reeled, and no help came at all. And you and I catch the note of despair in that last line. And no help came at all. You see, it captures the mood of this psalm. As David wrestles with apparently unending suffering and apparently unanswered prayer. Is he even hearing my prayer? David is tempted to ask. Now you see, my dear friends, this says something to you and I this evening. I know that some of you, whether those are here this evening or not, is immaterial. Some of you have been going through these very same experiences. And there is one I know that you will immediately think of, as I think of, whose name has been mentioned in the earlier prayer part of our service tonight. Why are these circumstances of illness, of sickness surrounding me? Why is there no healing? Why is it that I have prayed and the people of God have prayed for deliverance for me and none apparently is being shown? You see, it is the age-old problem of unanswered prayer and unending suffering, apparently. But you see, as we begin to look at this psalm, I think there is an answer, that something is happening, and God is listening, and he is hearing the agonized prayer of his servant. And though the pressures seem to increase about the servant of God, instead of shrinking this man's soul, these pressures are actually enlarging it. And God is doing something rich and beautiful in this man's life that may not be apparent to the outward eye. But he is enlarging David's heart in the midst of experiences of distress and apparent disaster. And I want to begin to come to this psalm with you this evening through verse 2. I'm sorry, verse 3. I'm sorry again, it's verse 1. It's the very first verse of the psalm. Do you notice there that David says, Give me relief from my distress. Now, it's a very poor translation. And what it should say is, you have enlarged me in distress. You have enlarged me in distress. Or in another translation by George Adam Smith, in narrow places you made space for me. Or when I was hemmed in, You have freed me often. 
Now do you begin to see what is happening, and it's the key, you see, to understanding the rest of the psalm, and what a tragedy it is that the new international version, this nearly indispensable version, is wrong here. It's not give me relief from my distress. Relief has already been given. You have enlarged me. In the midst of all these troubles, David is saying, something wonderful and deep is already happening. Now, in order that we might begin to see what is happening, I want to divide the rest of this psalm, you see, into these three ways and to look at only the first of those divisions this evening. You see, there are counsels of peace in verses 4 to 7. And then secondly, next Sunday evening, God willing, there are the grounds of peace in verse 3. And then thirdly, the effects of peace in verse 8. You see, this man who is so sorely distressed and feels that God may have cast him off, by the end of the psalm, his whole attitude has changed. I will lie down and sleep in peace, he says. That's how God is enlarging this man's heart and experience from distress into peace. Be still. And he does so by the counsels of peace and the grounds of peace and by reminding David of the effects or the fruits of God's peace as David's heart is being enlarged and the Lord is making space for him in the midst of all these overwhelming pressures. Now, as we look at the first of these things this evening, are there not times in our own experience when troubles throng in upon us? You know, I have known seasons of the soul when I can no longer see the horizon clearly. And I need to see it so clearly. And yet, because of troubles and difficulties and pressures and temptations, you and I can no longer see the future or the way the Lord is leading us. And evil presses in on every side. And so what we're looking at tonight is not something academic or something that is far from your life and mine as a Christian believer tonight. We need to trace the road that David walked to reach the destination that he came to, the peace of verse 8, to trace what was happening in this godly man's soul. Well then, the counsels of peace, verses 4 to 7, and we're going to limit it there this evening as we finish. The counsels of peace in these verses. How did he enter in to this enlargement of his spiritual life amid these pressures? What was the gateway by which he entered in? Well, there are four gateways, in fact, in these verses 4 to 7. 
four practical pieces of counsel as he began to take himself in hand. Now, do you notice with me what they are? First of all, we are to be honest about our feelings. Do you notice that in verse 4 at the beginning of the verse? In your anger, David says, do not sin. In the King James Version, be angry and sin not. Now, doesn't that awaken some memory of yours and mine this evening as we think of the New Testament letter of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 26, where part of this verse is quoted as Paul addresses Christians and says, Do not be angry, be angry, but sin not. Do not let the sun, he says, go down on your anger. And there in that passage in Ephesians, of course, he's using this verse in a slightly different way. He's saying that you may be angry as a Christian righteously. Some things should make you angry. But be very sure that your anger lasts no longer than a single day. Make sure that it's put away by the time the evening comes, lest it fester in you, and from righteous anger it suddenly becomes unrighteous anger. But here, you see, in this verse of the original psalm, the emphasis is somewhat different. David is saying the first gateway into peace is that you take yourself in hand and you are honest about your feelings. Now, what was happening evidently was this, you see. David was beginning to feel righteously indignant and angry about what had happened to him. And he had abundant cause to be angry. This upstart son of his, who was he? After all the favors that had been bestowed upon young Absalom, who was he to turn against his godly father, even though that father had many faults. Who was this young man to say, I can be a better king than great King David? And to go out and by open treachery steal the hearts of the men of Israel away from his father's allegiance. To pretend that he was going to worship the Lord outside of Jerusalem, and to use this holy occasion as a cloak to raise rebellion in Israel. Oh, the treachery of it. After every favor that David, wisely or unwisely, had bestowed in this young man's life, And he could be righteously indignant, but all the nation, it seems, had gone after this young man's deceptive charms, forgetting all the benefits that David had bestowed upon this people of peace and prosperity and generally a righteous rule. And probably you see some of David's men were feeling the same feelings of righteous indignation. And he's addressing them, you see, in these words. He's saying, yes, be angry. You have cause to be angry, but be careful. Don't let your anger 
turn into sinful directions. Now do you see what he's saying? He's saying the first gateway into peace is to be honest about your feelings. You know, one of the great dangers and mistakes of many Christians I find today is that they want to spiritualize and pietize their feelings. They say, you know, I ought to feel in a certain way, and really I don't feel in that way. Therefore, I'm going to pretend that I do. And it's oh so very wrong. You see, some Christians seem to think that they ought always to feel the sky is blue above them and there's no cloud in the sky and they never ought to be perplexed or distressed by any kind of circumstances that happen to them, whether it's sickness or a terminal disease or some argument in their family or some dispute with a neighbor or some difficulty in the church. They should never certainly be filled with anger, righteous anger. And you know, I have a problem with that type of Christian because they're infinitely superior to the Apostle Paul. He never behaved in that way. He said, at times I am perplexed and I am cast down. But I'm not destroyed, thank God. But I have those feelings. And I express them and I let them out and I deal with them. And if you want to enter into the Lord's gift of peace and find enlargement of heart, the way to deal with these things is to admit them and be honest about your feelings before God and, if necessary, before others, and not to live in a let's-pretend world of false piety and of being falsely spiritual. Thank God again this evening for the realism of these psalms. Be angry, but do not sin. Tell the Lord how you feel the whole of your heart's condition. Let it out, because there's no real remedy otherwise. Now, the second gateway into peace, you see, is in the second part of verse 4. Don't speak before you think. In the midst of all this pressure and distress, David goes on to say, when you are upon your bed, search your hearts and be silent. Now, what's he telling us? Well, he's telling us a very interesting thing, that our beds are not only for sleep. Did you realize that? They're not only for sleep. Now, I know that some of us can't sleep sometimes because we're overtired or we're under stress, and that's a very difficult thing to bear. But he says our beds are also for meditation. So that though the body may be resting, the mind may be active and meditating upon the Lord and his dealings with us, 
And we should be saying inwardly, Lord, why are you leading me in this road? Why are these things happening to me? I want to commune with you upon my bed. I want to meditate upon what you are doing in my life. I want to search my heart and think in these silent hours of the night. Why are these things happening to me? Lord, you tell me. You speak to me in these silent seasons of the soul and direct me. And I want this to happen, you see, before I speak, search your heart, and be silent. Now, isn't it true that we so often make the mistake that evidently some of David's loyal followers were making as they gathered in that camp outside Jerusalem on that evening after David's flight, and they began to open their mouths and to speak rashly? And what they needed, David said, was to think through their situation, to sleep on it. You know, often when we speak before we think as Christians, we show the signs of our own spiritual poverty, don't we? And we say, I think the Lord is leading us through these circumstances, to this conclusion and destination. I think he's dealing with me because of this reason, and we've never really meditated and thought as to why we are where we are. And one of the features I find in the Psalms that is a constant encouragement and a rebuke is how the psalmist take themselves in hand as in Psalm 42 and 43, where the psalmist again is cast down and in great trouble. And he says to his soul, he says, My soul, why are you cast down? And why are you troubled within you? Why are you disquieted? Hope thou in God, who will yet be the health of my countenance and my God. What is he doing? He's having a little soliloquy with himself. You know how the actors on the stage suddenly appear, it might be, alone. The stage is empty apart from the background. And the actor speaks, and he's really speaking to himself, but he's speaking out loud. You know, Christians ought to speak to themselves. And it's not a sign of madness, or you've gone out of your mind. There should be times of soliloquy where we take ourselves in hand and we speak to ourselves and we address ourselves and we address the Lord. And we say, why are you cast down, O my soul? And as we're doing this, the Lord begins to speak to us. Don't speak before you think. Search your hearts and be silent. Now the third gateway into peace quickly follows, and you see it there in verse 5. Don't withhold anything before the Lord. Offer right sacrifices, says David. I've learned that this is the third gateway into that enlargement of my soul that God purposes for me. Offer right sacrifices. In other words, he says, I've realized that it's necessary for me to have the right disposition 
as I come to worship you, as I'm meditating in these silent hours of the night. What is the disposition of my heart before the Lord's? Offer right sacrifices. And he's told us, you see, what these sacrifices are in Psalm 51, which was written also out of this experience of David's sin and the fruits of that sin. He says the sacrifices of God are a broken heart, a broken and a contrite spirit, O God, you will not despise. In other words, don't withhold anything before the Lord. Do you know the reason sometimes, I think very often, why we do not have that enlargement of soul in the midst of our distresses and press pressures? It's not really because of our circumstances at all. We say only, Lord, if my circumstances were different, and I've said this to my shame, if only I had life a little bit freer of these troubles and these trials, then everything would be well with me. It's not the circumstances at all. It's because we have a controversy with the Lord, or a controversy, as I should say. That's the reason why we don't have peace in our souls. We have not been able to render up everything to the Lord, to offer right sacrifices to him, to come before him with a broken and a contrite heart. Lord, we're saying, I want it to be this way with me. I want these circumstances to change and altogether to be different. And we have a con controversy with him. And we need to be able to say with the hymn writer, Is there anything beneath the sun but strives with thee my heart to share? Ah, tear it thence and reign alone, the Lord of every motion there. Now the fourth gateway, as I finish this evening, is at the end of verse 5, trust in the Lord. In other words, where does your confidence rest? David asked himself this as the evening drew on and the thoughts of this lovely psalm came into his mind. Where does my confidence rest? Am I putting my confidence in other things apart from the Lord? This band of followers that has remained loyal to me, the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and all the armed guard I've posted around my camp, is my trust in myself? Is my trust in others? And in their planning and in their plotting to help me regain my throne again? At the deepest level, which counsel controls my actions and my reactions in this situation? Where is my confidence placed? Trust in the Lord, he says, as the fourth great P 
peace of counsel, but leads into the enlargement of David's soul. Now, my dear friends, let me draw the threads of these things together, how appropriate they are for us. As we pass through the rude blasts of calamity, as they sweep over our own soul, as we have been tempted at times to feel there is unending suffering and there is unanswered prayer, is something else not happening inside us as well? Is not the Lord beginning to work a deep and gracious work? You have enlarged me when I was in narrow places. And the enlargement begins by these counsels of peace. Be honest before the Lord about your feelings. Don't speak before you've thought and meditated upon what is happening to you and why it's happening to you. Don't withhold anything before the Lord and put your trust in him finally alone. And so you see, before we've gone very far in this psalm, it sounds again with the glad, trustful strains that had slumbered for so long in David's heartstrings. The old confidence begins to awake, confidence in God, submission to his will. These things flame brighter in the deepening shadows. After all, it's from the lowest abyss that the stars are seen more clearly. And so next Sunday evening, God willing, from the counsels of peace, we turn to the grounds of peace and the effects of peace as we continue to see how David, how the Lord enlarged David's soul. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank thee for that great word of our Savior, peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. And so it is wonderfully possible for each servant of God to know in the midst of all the change of fortune and change of circumstance that the Lord is granting within him the peace of God which passes all human understanding. May this be our experience on this Easter evening hour. For Jesus' sake, amen.